All right. If you've got a copy of God's Word, please go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 15. Uh, we're going to be in verses 1 through 20 this morning. And I just want to ask you where you've been disillusioned in your life. Uh, I think for some of us, this can be something small. For some of us, it can be something very big. For example, uh, maybe you were disillusioned about school growing up. Maybe you went to school the first day and you have distinct memories. I have distinct memories of going to a, a place. And this, this is no, this is no, uh, this doesn't mean anything about the place I went to. Uh, it's called Learning Tree. It was in Papa. I distinctly remember going the first day and just crying as I saw my mother, who I thought loved me, uh, walking away and, and leaving me there. <clears throat> and so, you, you know, maybe you were disillusioned. Maybe you thought school was going to be great. And then you went to school and you're like, oh, this isn't so good. Or maybe you were disillusioned about a movie. Maybe you were really looking forward to a movie or a set of movies, and you went to the movie, and you paid a lot of money, and you stood in line and all that kind of stuff, and then you got in there, and you went to the movie, and it just wasn't as good as you had hoped that it would be. Or maybe it was like a dinner. Maybe you saved up money to go out and have this good meal, and you went to this place that you thought was just going to be a great meal, and you had that meal, and it wasn't as good as you thought, and so you were disillusioned about that restaurant. Now, those are small things. I think we can all agree those are generally pretty small things. But, but maybe, maybe you've been disillusioned about something bigger in life. Maybe you thought marriage was going to be a certain way and it ended up being that marriage wasn't the way that you had always thought that it was going to be. And that's a pretty hard disillusion. Or perhaps it was parenting. Maybe you look forward to being a parent. Or maybe you've been a parent for a while now. Or maybe you have grown kids and you're still a parent and you think to yourself, man, this is not what I thought my kids would turn out or this is not what I thought parenting would be like. Or maybe you're in a totally different stage of life and we're talking about retirement for you. Maybe you had longed for and looked forward to what you were going to do at the later season of your life and you're looking back now at how you've prepared or you're looking at the current situation in retirement and you're thinking to myself, man, this Retirement is not what I thought it would be. The fact of the matter is we all go through different levels and stages and and different types of disillusion. The noun for disillusion means uh, a disappointment resulting from the discovery that something is not as good as one believed it to be. The verb form of, of that word, disillusion, is to cause someone to realize that a belief or an ideal is false. So it's this idea of to remove the illusion, hence the disillusionment. My fear is, or my thought is, is that some of us have been that way when it comes to church, when it comes to religion, when it comes to following Jesus. And in the text today, Jesus is going to do that for these Pharisees. These Pharisees and these scribes, they have an illusion of what it means to follow God of what it means to participate in church, if what it means to be a part of the body of believers, they have their illusion, and Jesus is going to come in and tear that illusion away. And maybe you've been there. Maybe you're healing from that. Maybe you're coming from a church where uh, things went wrong, or maybe you're coming out of a religious tradition where it just didn't make sense to you. Or maybe you're here this morning, and that's exactly where you are. Maybe this church, myself, or somebody else has wounded you. Or maybe you're still figuring this whole thing about Christ out and you're still kind of wondering, it doesn't quite exactly seem like I think it's supposed to seem. That's called disillusioned. 
So as we get into Matthew 15, if that has anything to do with anything that you've ever been through, and I think I've covered enough where it does, I hope that you'll listen to God's word this morning. But before we get there, let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, we do ask that you would be with us this morning. We lift up this message to you. We lift up your word back to you. And we thank you that you have said that your word will not return to you void, but rather it will have its intended purpose. So we ask that your intended purpose, whatever that might be for each of us, that you would have that in our hearts today. Sometimes disillusionment can be very painful, but we know and we're going to see by the text that it can also be very beneficial. So God, we would ask that trusting you to benefit us by the hearing of your word that you would do so now. So we bring to you our hearts and our minds. Please let us leave everything else outside and be fully devoted to you so that you might have your work in us. We pray that in the power of your Son's name and by the influence of your Holy Spirit. Amen. So as we go through this, the main point that I really want for you to understand this morning is is this. Rather than a superficial religion, we need supernatural regeneration. And the way that I, I think your notes say that is that way, the way that I would say that is, rather than a superficial religion, Jesus wants and offers supernatural regeneration. So let's look at that based off of the text that we have today. Uh, I want to read this with you. We're going to read through the whole thing, and then we're going to take it point by point. Okay, so the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Now, they didn't have any idea about COVID back then. They knew it was just a good idea, right? So children, when your parents say, Wash your hands. It's biblical. Parents, you can point. It's okay, right? So anyway, uh, why do your disciples not uh, break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But I say to you, if anyone tells his father or his mother What you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father and mother. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. Now what's happening behind the scenes here, which maybe isn't super clear here, uh, but is in other texts. So if if you have a copy of God's word that you have for yourself, you can find this in the other synoptic gospels. What I mean by that is Mark and Luke uh, allude to this, okay? And so if you look this up, what they're talking about here is there was no welfare system. And so what they would do is they would supposed to, and Timothy's going to talk about, you You know, if you don't provide for your family, then you're worse than an unbeliever. It's our jobs to provide for those who are elderly and who are hurting to support them. This is what he's talking about. And instead, what these people, what these guys would do is they would give whatever they were going to give to their parents, what they were supposed to give to their parents, and to provide for the parents, they would give it to the church and therefore avoid the system. But here's the thing. These guys are Pharisees and scribes and often priests, right? So they're kind of putting it in their own pocket. It's called money laundering. It's not right then, and it wasn't now. So what, they, what he says here is you, you uh, maybe that was on the last slide. Uh, so you break the commandment of God for the sake of your own traditions. For God commanded, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God. I think I did read this. Maybe I've just read it so much this week. Whatever, you're, you're, you're stuck now. Uh, he need not honor his father, so... The sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, he says. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, 
but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. So now he's gathering a crowd. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. So kids, cookies for breakfast. It's legit, right? There's your pushback. You're welcome, parents. Anyway, uh, my kids are here too. Uh, Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. Don't you love Peter? And he said, Jesus said, not Peter, he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whoever goes, whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. So as we look at Matthew 1 through uh, 15, 1 through 20, it seems very clear that the religious leaders of the day had what Jesus would refer to as a superficial religion. And he's going to explain how that breaks down and what that brings and, and what we need is really supernatural regeneration. So the first point that I have on the text is, is really this. Uh, superficial religion breeds hypocrisy. And you can see it there in the text. And, and my guess is, is if you've been around to any church for any amount of time, you've seen it in real life. I mean, the Bible is excellent for teaching us and admonishing us, but at the same time, History and experience is also a teacher, and I'm not equivocating the two. God's Word is authoritative, and our perception of reality and what we experience is secondary to God's Word. So hear me when I say that. But the Pharisees are living proof in their day that superficial religion produces hypocrisy, and we see that in our churches. I've seen that in my own heart, my own family. And if any of you have spent any time with me, I'm sure you've seen that in me as well. And if you just turn your head to the right or left, and you know that person to any degree, you've seen that in their life as well. And what the Pharisees are doing here, as you have seen by the text, and is what Jesus is saying, in Mark 7 is a parallel part of that. It says, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly. Now, this this is not a Ten Commandment rule. But honor your father and mother is. And so what they've done is they've added to the Word of God. And so we do that in our, in our culture today. We either add to the Word of God or we subtract from it. And so therefore, hypocrisy is what comes out of that. These Pharisees, uh, they came to him, and they, they're holding the tradition of the elders, they said. And, and when they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash their hands. Now, I, I don't know if they had a wet market like Wuhan, but the fact of the matter is, is it was a good practice that God gave them for their health, because God is wise beyond all of us. He knew about microbiology and cellular whatever, virusology or whatever that might be. I don't know the word for it. Yes, he's sovereign. Thanks. But that's not God's law. That's man's tradition. 
And so in this tradition that they would get over the years, they would continue to add to this. And so they'd have rule upon rule upon rule. And Jesus, you know this in other places where he tells them and he talks about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees when he says, you tithe mint and dill and cumin. You tithe even the smallest amount. And he talks other places where he says, you, you, you strain out the gnat, but you swallow the camel. And what Jesus is talking about here is that superficial religion breeds hypocrisy. It has to. Because instead of living by grace under the freedom of Christ, we live under law and under precepts and under traditions. You know, some churches, they won't start the church service until the young man with the flaming pole comes up and lights the candles in front. Or they they have to have incense that goes down the aisle. Or they have certain dress codes that everybody has to wear when they come in or out of the building. And all those things are just rules that men put in place. And Jesus knew the, 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 these Pharisees. He knew that they didn't really care about these things. Those who refused to keep these Jewish traditions were criticized by these rulers. Rules that they made themselves. Romans 2.23 written by Paul. I remember Paul would talk about himself as he was, if anybody is a Jew, I'm a better one, right? If anyone claims to have done these things for God in the Jewish traditions, I can claim much more. Remember Paul is speaking this way in in another part of Scripture. But Paul in Romans 2.23 says, You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. Let me pull it back to home. Jesus isn't impressed with how many verses you've memorized if you're not applying them. Jesus doesn't care how often you attend church if Monday through Saturday you're not living with him. Jesus doesn't care how much you put in the offering plate and how much you tithe over and above or or whether you're faithful with that or not if your heart's not in it and if you're not doing it out of love for God rather than religious duty. You see, because superficial religion breeds hypocrisy. It can have nothing else. This prophecy of Isaiah 29, 13, these people worship God with their lips, but their hearts are far from Him. Well, this is where it is. Galatians, Paul boasts of himself outside of Jesus. And then after his conversion, Paul then warns us who would practice or seek to practice these same things inside Christ in Colossians 2.8. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And then he also instructs elders of the church. In Titus 1, he says, The testimony is true, therefore rebuke them sharply those who would be practicing religion rather than relationship. He says that they may be sound in faith. So rebuke them sharply, not to kick them out of the church, but rebuke them sharply so that they may not also be blind guides, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and to commands of people who turn away from the truth. So here's the thing. Jonathan Edwards says this, the hypocrite has not the knowledge of his own blindness and deceitfulness of his own heart 
that the true saint has. The reason that superficial religion produces hypocrisy is because he doesn't understand, we don't understand, without a regenerated heart, how wicked we are. And so therefore, we go on sinning that grace might increase. And Paul says, by no means, let that be the case. Traditions in the church, traditions in the Jewish religion, or any religion for that matter, but with a relationship with Christ, traditions become transgressions when they are valued above Scripture. And that's what the Pharisees were doing. And sometimes that's what churches do. When we have infighting and backbiting about superficial things, what color the drapes are or the carpet or the pews or chairs or drums or no drums or whatever it might be, whatever you might have experienced in the past, the fact of the matter is traditions become transgressions when they are valued above Scripture. Traditions become transgressions when they make worship hollow. If you are unable to worship God because of the traditions that this church practices or doesn't practice or the church that you came from practiced or didn't practice, I want to question your heart of worship. Traditions become transgressions when they focus on what is on the outside rather than what's on the inside. And that's exactly what the Pharisees and the scribes are doing. That's why superficial religion only produces and breeds hypocrisy, but also superficial religion is ultimately hopeless. Because the fact of the matter is, religion can't save you. It has no power to do so, and it never has. And I want to pause for a minute and try to explain to you the dichotomy in my mind or the, or the difference that I see between religion and relationship with Christ. It reminds me of what James would say, right? Because for me, the relationship with Christ is why I come to church. The relationship with Christ is, is why I, I, I visit you or, or call you and nag you to come to church. The, my relationship with Christ is why I sing and pray with my children. My relationship with Christ is why I pray privately. However, praying privately can be part of religion. Coming to church can be part of religion. Calling you and nagging you so you come to church can be part of religion. It can just be a practice. It can just be a duty. It can be just something I perform, something you perform without the heart behind it. And what he says here, and he says in other places like Luke eleven thirty seven through 40, this is a different scenario, but I, I liken them a lot together, so, so maybe they are just told from a different perspective. But while Jesus was speaking, the Pharisees asked him to dine with him. This is another story about this. So when he went, he reclined at the table. The Pharisees, they were astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And Jesus said to them, Now the Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but the inside are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? You see, the fact of the matter, superficial religion, all it does is make you look good on the outside. Maybe this is a little too morbid for you, but do you know, how, do you know what they do when they get corpses ready for an open casket viewing? One of you just made a face. I'm going there anyway. Sorry. Here's what they do. They, they, put, they put makeup on them. They will use super glue to glue the eyes shut and glue the mouth shut in case there's any kind of weird features. They will sometimes wire the jaw shut. And that's, and that's not to talk about the, the rest of, of how, what they do to prepare the body. So to save you from any other morbid details, I'm not here to gross you out. The fact of the matter is, 
you can put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig. Right? So, and, and, and you can, you can put rue and, and makeup and, and all those things, and you can, you can flush the skin out, but it's still a dead person. Superficial religion ultimately is hopelessness because it does not breed life. All it does is clean up the outside of the vessel. Now, should our outside of our vessels be kept clean? Sure, if you want people to sit next to you on Sunday, because, you know, personal hygiene is a good thing. But the fact of the matter, we can't judge one another based on our cleanliness, the clothes that we wear, how good we smell. Because inside, it still might be corrupt, corroded, and a corpse. And this is exactly what are happening with the Pharisees. And I think, I think what we see here is Jesus' mercy and grace upon the Pharisees because he didn't tell them to their faces that they were okay. Instead, he told them the truth. And believe it or not, that's love. And so superficial religion is ultimately hopeless, and that's my job to tell you that, even if that might offend you. But that's love. You know, in Matthew eleven three through 6, John's disciples, John was in prison. Remember, we just talked about this not long ago. John's disciples were in prison. They sent his disciples to go and talk to Jesus and ask him if he was the Messiah or if they were to look for somebody else. And what he does is he tells them, listen, uh, go back and tell John everything that you've seen and you've heard. The blind are uh, given sight, the deaf hear, the mute speak, the lame walk. And, and he gets to a place where he says, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Matthew 13, 54 through 57, which we just covered real recently, even more recently than chapter 11. Uh, Jesus does all these parables, of which he references is this one, right? Uh, about the, the wheat and the tares and leave them alone and they're going to be rooted up and, and those kind of things. After the parables, it says that he went to his hometown. And in his hometown, where people had seen him grow up, and in other scriptures where he reads that scroll of Isaiah, right? And it says even in the, in, the, in the other text that after he reads the scroll of Isaiah, they were so upset with what he had said that they got him to the edge of this precipice and they were going to throw him off and kill him. And amazingly, it says Jesus just passes through the crowd, which is crazy. And it, it's miraculous, okay? Uh, after an angry mob just lets him go. And it says there that the reason that they wanted to do that is for the same reason, blessed are those who don't, aren't offended by me, it says here, uh, and they took offense at him. Why? Because he was telling them the truth. He was saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. Jesus was in the midst of telling them that false religion, superficial religion is ultimately hopeless and what they need desperately is real hope and they didn't want to hear it. Superficial religion cannot save you. It doesn't deal with your sin. And yes, you're a sinner just like me. All religion does is give you something to practice to make yourself feel better. That's exactly what the Pharisees were doing. Jesus rebukes these teachers because they're not bringing hope. Hope is only found in truth. Hope is only found in Christ. And these Pharisees, they were missing it. These scribes were missing it. And they knew the Bible, Old Testament, better than anybody. And they should have known who Jesus was the moment he walked on the stage. And they should have been front row heralding him. They should have been the ones laying their cloaks on the road as he walked into Jerusalem. This is what George Whitfield says about 
these type of teachers. He said the greatest curse that God can possibly send upon the people in this world is to give them over to blind, unregenerate, carnal, lukewarm, and unskilled guides. Do you know why that is? Because they have nothing for you. It is as if you go to a Thanksgiving meal hungry and starving and all they give you is stone soup before all the people gave their ingredients, if you know the story. Rocks and hot water. See, the fact of the matter is, and false teachers or false professors are going to be offended by Jesus' teaching. False teachers or false professors, those who practice superficial religion, have no hope because they are tares among the wheat and will one day be destroyed. That's what Jesus says. False teachers, false professors are spiritually blind. False teachers, false professors are leading others to destruction as well. And that is why superficial religion is hopeless. It cannot save. And so the problem is, and my hope and goal is, is that people then would hear and not obey. And I hope that that's not you today. Uh, The last of this, uh, the last point is, what God requires is actually holiness. He doesn't require religion. He doesn't require rules. He, he doesn't, listen, uh, there's, there's two parts here, right? So the, the, there, there's one part, and I hear this all the time from all kinds of people, and they're not wrong. Uh, I don't need to go to church to have a relationship with Jesus, and to which I would say, yeah, for sure, 100%, absolutely right. On the flip side, Hebrews very clearly says, do not neglect the meeting of of the saints, as some are in the habit of doing. And so, and Jesus himself said, you, you know, how are people even going to know you're one of mine unless you love one another? How can you love somebody if you don't see them? We have to do this and step on each other's toes and offend each other and love each other anyway, and that's how we know we're really disciples of Christ. Is what Jesus requires, what God requires, is holiness. The word holy uh, is not about your jeans you wore in the 80s. The word holy is this idea of being set apart and different. Specific use, righteous use, good, proper use. Blessing, blessed use. It is the difference between gold and coal. Peter. Peter asks him to explain this parable. The thing about Peter is he's heard and seen so much already. In the Sermon on the Mount, 5.8, he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. This is all over the Old Testament. This is, this is what people should know. Jews and Gentiles alike who have studied the Scripture at all. Psalm 51, Psalm 24, Ezekiel 36. I think that's all in your notes if I gave you a copy. If not, I can email it to you. But Psalm 51, 7-8, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. David knew Jesus, or, okay. David didn't know Jesus, okay, but, but David knew God, and he was looking forward to the Messiah, and David knew God enough to know that his requirements were holiness. And this is what he writes after his transgression with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah. And this is what he's asking for is for God to wipe away his sin and make him holy because he understands he can offer sacrifice after sacrifice, but that doesn't cover. Because that's superficial religion. 
Psalm 24, 3 through 5, Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? He asks. And who shall stand in his holy place? He asks. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Isn't it interesting that he puts those two together? The Pharisees were focused on one part. And Jesus is focused on the other. Who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from God of his salvation. And so the fact of the matter is the problem isn't what we practice. The problem is our hearts and why we practice it. Evil and dirty thoughts come from our hearts. Murder, hating, anger comes from our hearts. Adultery, sexual immorality, those come from our hearts. Theft, lying, blasphemies, those come from our hearts. So you can change the word that you expel, but if your heart is still cursing, then your mouth is still cursing. The fact of the matter is superficial religion breeds hypocrisy. Superficial religion is ultimately hopeless, and God's requirement is holiness. John Calvin says this, the only thing that distinguishes his elect from the reprobate, so for those of you who don't do the church lingo, and this is a different language to you, that's okay, I'll explain it in modern words in just a minute, okay? But the only thing that distinguishes his elect from his reprobate is that allowing the latter to be blind in the light, he presents the former with new eyes. What, what John is saying is this, the only difference between the people who can't see and who don't have a relationship with Christ and the people who can see and do have a relationship with Christ is God's holy power allowing them to do so. It doesn't matter how often you come, how much you practice, how much you do. If God doesn't draw you, you can't come. But yes, you're still responsible for that. And so, what are we to do? Well, first thing that we can do is exalt in the authority of God's word. Matthew 15, 3. Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? We need to minimize the thoughts of men. Mine included. I can give you my opinion, and that should be as weighty to you as a feather is on the ostrich. Okay? My opinion only matters if it comes from God. I'm sorry to say this, but same with CNN or MSNBC or Fox News or whatever it is you watch on YouTube. If it's not from God's word, it does not matter. We need to minimize the thoughts of men. Why? Because they promote self-centeredness, they fuel self-righteousness, and they serve self-interest. And we need to magnify the truth of God. We need to let the word of God consume our preaching and teaching. And so pray that that is what happens here. And we also need to let the word drive our decisions and our practices. And I will pray that that happens there. Is that a deal? And vice versa, we can do that for us both. And we also need to promote the authenticity in God's worship. Matthew 15, 8 and 9. The people honor me with their lips, but their hearts, their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. See, worship is more than physical action. It's about spiritual affection. 
So I want to challenge you this morning. I want to challenge you to worship with spiritual affection, whatever that looks like for you. Even if that means you're the only one in here who raises your hands. Or if you're the only one in here who sways back and forth. Even if that means you're the only one in here when pastor has a good statement, you say an amen. It doesn't matter what other people think. What matters is that you're worshiping more than just a physical action, more than just showing up on Sunday, but you're actually having a spiritual affection. And then lastly, we need to cultivate hearts of holiness. Matthew 15, 18 through 20, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and defiles the person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts. And we do that by continuously reminding and renewing our hearts and our minds with the truth. So the only way to obtain holiness that God requires is through supernatural regeneration. And so here is the illusion that if you hold it, I hope to disillude you to this morning. Delusion can be a painful thing when it comes to something that we were really looking forward to and it disappoints us, but disillusionment can be the best thing that happens to you when you understand that there is no good in you, that there's no good in me. That the only way to obtain holiness is through supernatural regeneration. It has to be Christ who saves you. It has to be Christ who renews you. It has to be on the blood of Christ on the cross that gets you there. It's not about you. It's all about Him. There you go. And if you are under the illusion that you are good enough, you are not as good as you thought you were. You are. And if your belief is that you are self-sufficient, then I am here to disillusion you this morning. The illusion that the world gives is that you're okay, I'm okay. That you live your truth, I'll leave my truth. The, the illusion that the world gives is they twist God's word to say, he's a loving God, so of course he'll never send anyone to hell. But the truth is, and the truth behind that smokescreen and that mirror under the curtain is the real truth of disillusionment that says we are desperately wicked and we need a Savior. And if you do not know him, and if that is not what you have, then you are still lost in your sin. You are just like these Pharisees and these scribes who are practicing a religion that breeds hypocrisy and is hopeless and does not give you the holiness that God requires. However, in this situation, disillusionment is the biggest blessing you can receive. So I would pray, actually, that your illusions would go away and you would hold fast to the truth of our God and Savior. Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you that disillusionment in this place is not disappointment resulting from the discovery that something is not as good as one believed it to be. But rather, the disillusionment in this case is the understanding that Jesus is way better than we thought him to be, even though we ourselves are much, much worse. And that while some, these Pharisees and these scribes, they were under the impression that the Messiah would be different, Jesus comes to prove otherwise. So may their disillusionment that led to their destruction might be our disillusionment that leads to eternal life and holiness and a relationship with Christ rather than superficial religion that only brings hypocrisy and hopelessness. 
let us continue to pray that we would be disillusioned by our sinful hearts that we might enter into your truth new and afresh every morning. That's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, so listen, we're going to sing an a cappella song this morning.